Hello and welcome back to the Thinking Aloud with Mao podcast. I'm your host, Mahmoud Al-Ansari, and you can call me Mao. Today, our special guest is Saad Abbasi. He is an up-and-coming religious figure in the DMV community wanting to change our community for the better. As Me and Saad get deep. We basically discover how he ended up a Muslim who is on the right track and never drinks, never smokes, never goes with girls never did any of that stuff in his past and hopefully continues to do and how i ended up the exact opposite what what differences in our lives led us to become so drastically different in the actions that we took even having the same religion and morals we also try to answer the question as to why other muslim americans do what i do and why other muslim americans do what sad does we try to discover why muslim americans are drinking why they're smoking and obviously what can we do to fix it we try to get to the bottom of that as well i hope you guys enjoy sad down bessie it's a pleasure having you on bro yeah, thanks man. for coming nice on meeting you you too <laughs> yeah so tell me a little bit more about you because i've been i've been saving all the questions i have for you for for this podcast i i really want to know how you ended up, like, with what you're doing? What what made you choose this route, especially... Did you grow up in the United States, first of all? Mostly. Like, I... After third grade, I was pretty much in America. Where were you? Before? I was before in Saudi Arabia. Actually. Saudi Arabia? Where are you... What, what's your ethnicity? Are <laughs> yes, you, where do you think are I'm... Are you Daisy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Are you Pakistani? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, but you moved to, to... Your parents moved to Saudi Arabia, and then you came here when you were so, three. So, um... What you might call it? I, um, my dad, he was actually working in Saudi Arabia, like he's a doctor. So he was working in like an international compound in Saudi Arabia. So it was like full of Desis, Egyptians, like basically not the local, um, uh, Saudi Arabs. And, um, so we, I kind of lived there from like maybe, uh, since 2000 till 2005 or something like that okay and then once i finished third grade uh my sisters and stuff they were old they're older so they had to go to college and stuff like higher education everything so, so your dad moved my here. dad was like all right we'll just move to the u.s then yeah. okay how's your experience been living in the united states as a muslim um honestly speaking for me personally i i found america much more beneficial to my islamic growth and my faith and my deen than i did probably um back uh, in saudi arabia um granted obviously i was younger there too so like it's not like i had that much care for the deen either but when i came over here i had to actively like make that decision that i wanted to like you know be a practicing muslim and right. i wanted to implement the deen and stuff and have muslim friends around me all the time so is that um, why you think that it was much more better for you to be here than in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, for me personally, yeah. I can't say that for everyone, but um, no, but that that yeah. is one of the perks. Like I, I find that um my my family at least like my yeah. mom or my family is much more at least outrightly 
religious right. than, than my family back home in Egypt because gotcha, yeah. Islam is such a culture. It becomes a cultural aspect, yeah. And it is home. a religion. Same thing with my family, like um, back home in Pakistan and stuff. They're much more lenient. Yeah, yeah. And it's because here you have to hold on to your religion. Yeah, Like, exactly. literally. So it's either you hold on or you let go. And that's what you meant by not for everyone. Because yeah. some people let it go. Yeah. But the ones who hold on, hold on. But also, in regards to um, other people, some people, it might actually be better. Like, oh, if they go back home, you know, uh, take some time out, spend a couple of years there, build their faith, and then come here. Yeah. So it really depends, like, um, person to person, to be honest. Okay. It's not like a one-fit uh, rule type of thing for everyone, I think. So, so uh, because the reason, okay, um, let me ask you this first, then. Uh, what made you decide to, to go down this route, especially in kind of the, the environment we live in as Muslims in America? It was much easier for you to go down the route of, of girls and uh alcohol and smoking and stuff right. like that so what made you choose uh, what you're trying to go down um so basically um obviously i went to like high school here and everything like that too but i think for me it was like a little different situation where i was naturally inclined towards like more pious or more uh god-fearing people than myself um, so because of that, I kind of always hung out with Muslims more than non-Muslims. So I'd have non-Muslim friends in high school and stuff, but like it would, our friendships would kind of just end there, like right at high school. Um, you know, basically you come into school and you leave. I wouldn't really hang out with them. They're much. like acquaintances. Yeah. More, more so acquaintances. I wouldn't hang out with them much, um, outside of school, but my, the Muslim friends that I had, you know, they stuck a long way. Like I would be making moves. Maybe we'd go watch a movie or maybe we'd get food together or, you know, maybe we'll go to the masjid together, right? So I kind of build that uh, relationship uh, from there. And then I always had like uh, interest of studying the deen um, to a certain uh, extent. I was going to originally, so after I finished high school, I then enrolled at UMBC. Uh, and, you know, me being from a Desi family and, you know, Alhamdulillah, my dad's a doctor, you know, he's like, oh, you should try to become a doctor too, right? He wants all his kids, he wants all his kids to be doctors. Right. So, um, um, I came into UMBC, I didn't really know like what major I wanted to be, you know, I was jumping from like bio to like computer science or like, you know, just trying different things. Um, and then, uh, I think maybe after a year or something uh, at ISB actually, they started uh, a seminary, uh, which is like a alam course, like Islamic traditional course. Also, it, it was gonna be six years. It's no longer there anymore, but it did start up uh, at ISB. Um, it was started by Sheikh Yassin, uh, one of my first teachers. So he, uh, he started that program there and I was like, yo, why don't I just like, join up this program right and i knew i knew uh some other people in there too like i don't know if you know uh harris Goodsey. i do yeah I do. so he was in the program too and i saw him like really benefiting and you know making a difference in his life improving his dean you know and so i was like um if i know i want to do this why not do it now before i get older and you'll get busy with other stuff you know i can always come back to college 
or something or do that later right um so from then i kind of just like had this like mind change and the shift and i was like so i left umbc and only spent like maybe a year there and then i enrolled uh immediately there at isb i started doing uh, classes there and um so i spent a year there then the program actually shut down because like Sheikh Yassin, he moved to the UK and stuff and they weren't able to continue the program. So then I was like, where do I go now like to continue, right? Uh, so I found a place in Virginia, actually, uh, Medina Tulalum uh, in Woodbridge, Virginia. And so from there, I joined the second year and I've kind of been studying with them ever since. Hmm. Uh, so now I'm in the fifth year, like I said. So you... And, you you really what you did is made sure ensured that your environment from the get-go was was a good environment an environment yeah. that promoted your faith I, I would say like i didn't really make an active effort to do so i think it was just my natural your natural inclination okay yeah so it was a little different for me yeah but yeah i would say like most people they might have to make that you know active effort to change their their environment and you know uh get closer to you know Muslims yeah. or other I sure do. Okay, yeah, so you yeah, so you can probably speak on that more. Yeah. Uh, uh, what helped with that? Was it your parents? Was it it was the way your parents raised you or my, do you think it was your innate self that uh, kind of was My parents raised? they kind of they didn't really force too much like deen or religion on me. They're like as long as you do the basics, like you know that everything's good. Uh and they but they did emphasize always hanging out with like uh, good people, you know, they taught me having just good morals, like avoiding smoking, drinking, you know, like the major types of uh, things, right? As long as you have just good natural company, they don't have to be super pious or anything. So I think maybe that like uh, stuck with me uh, from the get go. But uh, another thing that also helped with that was there was an MSA in my high school, actually. So like I kind of like uh, got involved with them from the beginning. Hmm. And that kind of led me to... How many people you think were in your MSA? So my area has a lot of Muslims. So in my MSA, there was probably like, I'd say a good 35, 40. Yeah. Wow, mine had like four or five. That's what I heard. Like I, I met other people like who they went to high school and stuff. And they're like, the MSA concept was foreign to them in high school. It was. So, we started the MSA. Like okay. I was a founder and I didn't do anything. But oh, I was still a founder of the MSA in my high school. Dang. Yeah, yeah, so I couldn't relate to that because for me, it's like, what? Like, I thought everyone in high school had an MSA. Yeah. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, you didn't know. I, did. I didn't even, I barely even, <laughs> we didn't do anything. Our, our thing was pointless. It was just five kids staring at each other in our meetings. Dang. So we would like, we'd have Jumu'ah together, the Friday prayer. Uh, we'd like maybe on the weekends grab food or something. It's not like we were doing like, super religious activities all the time it was just that like company that had like that sense of like god uh fearing that concept in their lives that kind of helped with that um in that sense yeah i i feel i think that was good to emphasize because a lot of people think that if you're gonna be hanging out with muslims all you're gonna be doing is is praying it's great you know like <laughs> yeah it's not like that they, they're gonna be talking about sports they're gonna be talking about all kinds of stuff Everything. Also. Yeah, yeah and that's why when i started uh following you on instagram I, that that's what i was trying to see first okay. right i was trying to see like uh how how 
how did you operate uh, before I invited you on? And, and you operated the way you operated, what you posted, what you were interested in. And I was like, this guy, uh, I, I love what you do. I love how you're Appreciate thinking. So, so I wanted to have you on. So um, if that's the case, then, then I, I can't, uh, basically, can, are you, do you, would you say you're qualified to answer some of the questions that I have for you today? Some, but not definitely not all. Okay. I'm still learning, obviously. Yeah. Be- because one of the things is, is that it's difficult with a podcast that kind of centers around Islam, but not completely. Yeah. Like mine, I would actually say centers around God, like the okay. concept of God. I think is much more of an issue uh, than than whether right. religion or not. Gotcha. Uh, so that's why I don't usually talk about what is halal and haram. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely don't talk about it by myself because I'm not qualified and I hate the new trend that I'm seeing where it's everyone <laughs> and their mothers are speaking on what's qualified, what's acceptable and not acceptable in yeah. Islamic religion, right? Online. Like you see these TikToks of yeah. people going, it's haram to do this. And you're like, who are you? Who are you? Yeah, it's, like, it's scary because um, uh, Imam Malik, one of the great scholars of the past, you know, he was asked uh, 40 questions. And from that, he only answered eight. And he was like one who basically, one of the scholars that codified how to practice Islam, like the fiqh. On, on He's how one to, of the biggest scholars <laughs> in Islam. <laughs> exactly. And he answered only eight out of 40. And like, I'm like, dang, where does that put us? Like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the scholars of our religion yeah. have ended up being like, listen, a lot of the questions I don't even know. Yeah. And, and and the problem is now that we find people that are coming out saying that they know and they're, they don't even have to. Because what you quoted earlier and cited earlier, it's important that these people have a lot of years and years of schooling. Right. And that's what qualifies them and allows them to come out and say certain things and give certain. Not only that, it's um, we have this son or this chain that goes back to the prophet so like for example like uh my teacher his teacher his teacher goes all the way back to the prophet so having that connection oh, so we, you got like a tree yeah by the time you graduate exactly like a family tree branch of, <laughs> of, of scholars that you got from exactly interesting that's wild and that's why when people ask like is Islam, how do you know that the Qur'an hasn't changed? How do you know that Islam yeah. hasn't been evolving? It's like, because the chain of scholarship has been so tight and right. and it has been so bent on, like, if you guys want to know a little bit about the culture of scholarship in Islam, it's that we're not changing the words. Right. Like, that is literally the main, that's the most important part. You can, you can be creative. You, you can come out and be innovative like Sheikh Sharawi and come out with translation or, or tafsir, understanding of the Qur'an that nobody has come up with before. Right. You have that creativity ahead of you as a scholar, but you can't change the words. You can't, yeah. you can't change the hadiths. You can't say that a hadith is correct, that it's been deemed to be incorrect already. Exactly. So that's what makes our chain of command so, so well thought out and so, so authentic. And not only that, it's like... Um when they were codifying the ahadith and the statements of the Prophet they were very particular on making sure it's authentic. If someone was like known to be a liar or something like that, then that's it. They're not taking the hadith from it because you're going to be passing this down generation after generation after generation. You have to make sure it's codified. And another thing you mentioned is like, you know, we study maybe chemistry or biology or any other class and we don't 
we don't question the authenticity of those books or anything, right? We just take it verbatim. But the Quran having that stringent system of making sure it's passed down via that sunnah of scholars, that chain of scholars. So it doesn't really make sense to be questioning that, right? Because we have such a stringent system. Right. But people need to know that we have yeah. that stringent system. I get, yeah, it just needs to be explained. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's a good question because yeah. you don't want to be following something that's not valid. Of course. But of even course. like an interesting, like I heard a story about hadith, again, for people who don't understand, hadith are sayings of the prophet or, or scenarios that have happened uh, mm-hmm. where um, the people around him or his wife or his best friends narrated the sayings. Yeah. Uh, so these hadiths, uh, when people would narrate them down the chain, if mm-hmm. a guy once was like, had a bias, if he even has like a bias where it's like, he's angry at a friend and that friend was in that mm-hmm. story, or uh, just like you said, they can even lie once. They, they, they can hear, oh, once he in court said something that was incorrect, they're like, okay, doesn't even matter how strong this hadith is right. without him. Now we're going to make it not not true. That's how rigorous it was to be considered a true hadith in a sense. Right. Which is so cool about That's our religion. That's pretty cool, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, so one of the first questions i got to ask you about is from the passage of the, the table spread. Uh, and this the spread table, I think it's alluding to the, 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 the Jesus peace be upon him spread table. Isn't that what yes. it was? Yeah. Uh, the ones that you see in the pictures, you know, Ben, the, um, the ones where they're all sitting there and Jesus is on a big table. I'm guessing we the don't believe supper. in the Last Supper. Right? I actually haven't gotten into um, much tafsir of that surah, actually. Yeah. I've done Surah Yusuf, Surah Hud, um, Surah Yunus, but I haven't done the whole Quran's uh, tafsir right. yet. Which is understandable. Yeah, that takes years. Lot, yeah. Well, I'm not even going to ask you about all of it. I'm just going to ask you about one-on-one. And the reason why uh, is is it's about unnecessary questions. Mm. And uh, where here, uh, the, God says, Oh, believers, do not ask about any matter which, if made clear to you, may disturb you. If mm. you inquire what, about what is being revealed in the Quran, it will be clear to you. God has forgiven what was done in the past. And God is all forgiving, most forbearing. Mm. Some people before you asked such questions, then denied their answers. Uh, gotcha. this, this is a very, very interesting verse. And would, would you like to take another look at it? Before? Yeah, sure. I'll take Because um, I, I, I'll give a little bit of background for, for the viewers. Which uh, number? One-on-one. So what's actually low-key happening here is that Muslims were, of the time would come up to the Prophet, peace be upon him, <laughs> and ask him really detailed questions yeah. about what is halal and haram, what is permissible and non-permissible. Right. So, so, so God came and revealed this verse, and he said, do not ask such detailed questions, because when you ask the Prophet such detailed questions, I'm going to answer them for you. I'm going to have to answer for you and, and, and then he says some people before you ask such questions and then denied them after they found the answer so yeah. i'm not answering some of these questions not to make the religion more hard on you right so you don't have to deal with more haram stuff that makes right? sense um yeah i mean so what's interesting in regards to this is um there there is a i guess a more elaborate story of this is in surah baqarah where uh, Musa salam, or Moses, he's uh, talking to Bani Israel, the Jews, 
and he's telling them to uh, slaughter a cow, right? And they they made the matter more difficult upon themselves, right? Where they were like, okay, ask your Lord, um, how should the cow be? Should it be, you know, thin or fat? What color should the cow be? <laughs> like, so different, different questions like that. And eventually they made it so stringent, up on, the ruling so stringent upon themselves. So in this verse, we kind of end with this no, commentary. Go ahead, because some of the readers don't know this story. So you, you can yeah. actually give like a good summary of it. Um, so, so Musa, salam, he's talking to uh, Bani Israel, and he, he commands them. Children of Israel, yeah. Moses, yeah. Yeah, so, my bad, yeah. So they're, uh, he's explaining to them that, uh, oh, you have to slaughter a, a cow, right? Because it's a command from God, right? Uh, so it says, um, if I'm remembering the verses correctly, uh, let me see. That, oh, um, children of Israel, that uh, God has commanded you to slaughter a cow. Uh, uh, so then uh, the, the story goes on and it says uh, that the cow, how should the cow be, right? Should it be fat or should it be thin? Should what it be color healthy should it be? or should it be weak? So Musa salam, or Moses explains somewhere in between uh, like healthy, medium level. And then after that, they still weren't satisfied with that answer. And they're like, all right, so then, like, what, what color should it be, right? Uh, so then Musa salam comes back, and it's mentioned in Surah Baqarah, um, it should be yellow, right? Uh, yellowish uh, color. And so they just kept uh, making the, the matter difficult, difficult, until, like, now when they had to do it, there were so many things that had to be met. There were and, so many conditions. Yeah. And the cow ended up having to be a yellow, well-toned cow <laughs> exactly. that was not used exactly. for agriculture. It was just a cow that grazed. Right, right. Yeah, so that made it really difficult. So so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching us from this that, oh, Muslims don't make things more difficult for you just how the children of Israel did, right? Don't do things like them. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... Um, you know, he commands something, just do it as it is, right? But at the same time, that obviously doesn't mean to just take the deen as like, you know, like, or the religion as a joke, you know? Um, ask the questions that need to be asked, but like, don't like fret or like, you know, uh, overwork yourself yeah. in that There's regard. definitely two extremes yeah. of Muslims. There's people exactly. who are either way too lenient, don't think the hijab is, is, is necessary, don't right. think... Uh, you don't need to eat pork, and on the other side, you have uh, Muslims who are just going, and and they can be they can be like on that to themselves if they want to. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is when they start wanting others, others to be like that. Yeah. Also, it's like you're being too strenuous here. Right. Uh, it yeah. Go ahead. So like I mean, um, yeah, like uh, like Allah says, "Wajalnakum ummatan wasata," that we have made you a balanced middle nation, right? So what that basically means, you know, uh, in every regard, the deen is supposed to be balanced, right? Like you said, not both extremes, but somewhere in the middle. 
And um, for people who take it uh, two lakhs, there's actually a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu that says, um, that the halal or the permissible is clear and the haram is, uh, is clear. And in between those two matters, there's a lot of uh, doubtful matters, right? So someone who safeguards his deen, he's going to avoid those doubtful matters, right? So this should generally be given to advice to people who take things, you know, lax or chill a lot of times, right? You should give them this type of advice, right? Because if you engage in too many doubtful matters, you know, it's a trick of shaitan or the devil that he's going to start with the doubtful matters and then eventually it will become so lenient that you might even um, engage in those things that are known to be uh, haram and those things that are wrong, known to be wrong. Yeah. yeah, and what's interesting about our religion, which is something I've noticed within the last year or so, is that our religion is set up like a level-up video game mm. where uh, like, uh, for people who um, are still on level one, try to get the harams for uh, and halals first, right? Mm. So the permissibles and not permissibles. Yeah. And, and then when it comes to the mutashahbihat, uh, which we, we we'll start talking about, which is kind of like music and and, yeah. and all this other kind of stuff. Those are for the higher up level people. Those are yeah. for the people who have already gotten the permissible and non permissible gotcha, correctly. Yeah. But if someone's like, and this is where I think a lot of people get a mistake, and, and the Prophet peace be upon him, there's a hadith like, do not take on the religion too quickly, right? right? Uh, that is because you can't go from drinking every night and smoking to suddenly cutting off music. <laughs> and right, right. cutting off drinking and cutting off smoking and then praying five times a day and fasting. You're not going to last. It, it's funny. Um, I think for or adding on to that is um, I think for when you're first starting to practice Islam and try to become more God conscious, I think what is more important is you developing your faith first rather than focusing on, you know, the halal and the haram things, actually. Uh, for me personally, I agree 100. Yeah. yeah, like for me personally, I um, when I started practicing the deen a little bit more and getting closer to God, um, I didn't really know the rulings of oh, this is halal, this is haram, right? That came afterwards once I reached that first step of realizing that I have to be close to God, mm. and then afterwards I figured out oh, this is halal, this is haram, and the you know the detailed stuff. So. Although it's very important, I'm not trying to downplay it or anything. Um, you developing someone's, uh, you helping someone develop their love for God and their love for the religion should come first. Because oftentimes what happens, we see people talking about halal and haram, and that kind of pushes people away from the deen, especially people who are not. Uh, at that level or uh, at that stage yet, if that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was one of the things that throughout high school I wasn't, I mm. was nowhere near uh, religious. Um, but what I, I was always interested in Islam. I was mm. always interested in religion as a concept in general and God as a concept. Right. And, and I was very firm on the fact that I completely believe that there is an infinite being with infinite mind and infinite power and infinite knowledge and hearing and sight, mm -hmm. uh, which really um, envelopes and defines really what the Islamic God is. And we got to start uh, defining 
what I just said as the Islamic God, because that's not the Christian God, and that's not the Jewish God, and that's mm -hmm. not the Buddhist or the Hindu God. Those gods are actually less powerful. Those gods are le less benevolent, less, uh, less infinite. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we describe God the way we do, and when we give him the honor and respect that we do as Muslims, a lot of Judeo-Christian background people are like, why are they giving this dude? Right? They think of God as this guy. Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, first of all, God doesn't have a real gender. Mm -hmm. God, God is not bound by a body. We don't know what God is, actually. We don't know what he looks like. Uh, but in their minds, that's how they're, 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 they're defining God. And so that, that's kind of where this gap between Muslims and the rest mm -hmm. of the world comes in. It's because we talk about God as this grandiose thing. And they're sitting there like, why are they talking about a man like that? Because they're thinking Jesus. They're thinking yeah. like this guy that lost to Jacob in a wrestling match. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting because like in Islam, um, our aqal or our intellect is so limited, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has only given us so much, right? But we make it clear from the get-go that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, beyond time, beyond space, beyond a body that we think of or bodies that we know of right it's not something like that right it's something on it like we can't really put a picture to it yeah as a so, finite being exactly you can't grasp or fathom yeah an infinite being because like, that's literally what god is he's infinite in every way yeah possible bila jism without a body bila makan without a place and bila jihad without a direction right mm. so that's really i've how, never heard that before yeah that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah. So th those are three things. If you kind of keep in mind as a Muslim, it really helps you solidify that. As life. a person. Yeah, as a person, actually. Yeah. Honestly, because the moment you get that definition of God right, Islam is the only direction you can go. Exactly. The moment you go, I cannot believe in a God other than a God that is infinite in everything, in power, in knowledge, in capability, in sight, in, in location, like you said, and everything. And that is the only God that I can imagine that has created this universe and all, all the miracles that are within it. Right. Then the only religion you can turn to is Islam at that point, mm -hmm. which people don't get. So right. uh, I, let's actually take a, uh, another turn. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I want to ask you this. Oh, wait, actually, yeah, before yeah, you go, go. get to that, I also, uh, you know, how we were talking about like uh, how you should build that. Uh, love and um, that's what I forgot that relationship on. with the God first uh, especially for someone who's not at that level to really accept halal and haram yet right yeah. they're still building their faith you know there's a lot of narrations and examples uh, of this in our tradition in our Islamic tradition one is you know there was a companion who always ha he would have a problem with drinking right and but the, what did the Prophet Sallallahu what did the Prophet peace be upon him say about that? He said, don't, you know, don't mock him or don't make fun of him because he loves Allah and his messenger. Right. So the Prophet Sallallahu the Prophet peace be upon him had that emotional intelligence to understand, OK, he's not there yet. Let's let's bring him to um, acknowledging what is halal and haram. But let's first help him build his faith first. Right. Yeah. They wanted to bring him into that. Um, Islamic circle, Islamic environment first before necessarily throwing a ruling out at him, right? And he was an alcoholic too. Yeah. He didn't he wasn't just drinking. So like the Muslims exactly. that we see in America now are just drinking. They're right. not usually alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And this guy was a friend. 
a companion right. of the prophet, peace be upon him. And and yeah. he was an alcoholic, which is an insane thought because right. um, I think someone at once asked one of the, the companions of the prophet to explain what the companions were like. Mm-hmm. And he was like, human. Because yeah. right? <laughs> like, people forget that. People yeah. make them out. And even after the prophet, peace be upon him, like a lot of people don't know this, Romans and Europeans used yeah. to look at uh, the friends of the prophet as these grandiose uh, warriors, amazing at everything, yeah. to a point where a king tried to force one of the companions of the prophet, peace be upon him, to marry his daughter so he mm-hmm. can get these amazing superhuman genes mm-hmm. that apparently these people had, right? But they were humans yeah. at the end of the day. They had to work for it at the end of the day. Their relationship with God, their uh, love for the prophet, just like anyone else, they had to work for it. They weren't born with like, oh, you know, I'm pious all of a second, you know, nothing like that. Yeah, and honestly, that's how I did it. And I didn't do it consciously, is that I wasn't, I was doing every haram thing in the book, right? And I'm not going to get into details of it. But at the same time, when I would come back from that party or when I would come back from these uh, events where I wasn't supposed to be, Mm. um, I would turn on Nomana Khan or Omar Suleiman. And slowly but surely, I started loving that more than I started loving the other things. Mm. And that that's what ended up happening. A lot of people try to skip the love, skip the mercy, skip the, the beauty of Islam and just go straight to, no, don't do this, don't do that. Right. And it doesn't work. There's actually way. a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi that a man is upon the deen of, uh, I mean, a man is with the one he loves, right? Mm. So that simple hadith, like, it shows us that um, your love for the Prophet and your love for God, you know, really does have an effect on you, right? It really does help you build your character. And that is something that's fundamental uh, to faith and to the deen. You know, what's interesting that you say that is that um, when, I, when, I started, when I started my journey to Islam in a, in a proper way, yeah. um, when I started having to reject girls, the reason I was rejecting them wasn't necessarily because I was like, oh, this is haram. Even though I knew it was haram. Yeah. But the reason I started rejecting them is because I felt such a loyalty mm. to, to God um, and, and kind of where I didn't want to let him down. Like, it, it felt like you, you were, yeah, he was your own. Like yeah. God was your own. Like, he was like my best friend, but at the same time, like, my my god yeah. right my my boss uh, of everything in yeah. my life so so it, i didn't want to it, it kind of felt like i was betraying like gotcha. betraying some you're someone that and you that, deeply i love. think that's like a that's a crucial feeling that really helps you come back to god right that no matter how far you've gone how distant you've become from god that that feeling of like you know he's my god he's there for me you know, that really helps you get motivated to come back and get closer to him, I think. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting that you say that because uh, one of the beautiful things that I loved in Surah Maryam, mm-hmm. the passage of Mary, was the way that Prophet Abraham kept saying Rabbi, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and without throughout that, God kept calling himself Rabbi or Rabbukum. Mm-hmm. He kept attributing himself to us. Uh, in a way where, at least in my in my mm. small knowledge, I haven't seen a lot or before in the Quran such such a trip, uh, um, 
personalization of it because it made it so beautiful. Like this is my God, right? right? And, and, but at the same time, it's an he's so grand that he could be your God and your God and my God and everyone's God okay. separately, and it suffices. It's enough for us, right? I think it's also important to um, kind of adding on to that is you we need to understand that you know god doesn't expect us to be you know perfect or anything uh he's just looking to see are we constantly making improvements are we constantly uh making an effort to get closer to him right? Allah loves those who tries exactly yeah. and, and that's something that people don't necessarily realize and and that that's the beauty of islam is like no action or no thing can be trivialized, right? Someone can be the, doing the smallest deed and someone could be doing like some monumentous thing for the deen. But you never know. The one who's like doing that small thing in the sight of Allah, maybe he's greater than the one who um, did that big action or that big thing for the deen, right? It all comes back to the intention. Yeah, right? and it answers the question of why should I be good? Mm -hmm. Because why should I in this moment when I'm getting yelled at or I'm doing this really kind thing that no one else is seeing. Right. And I'm not getting any credit for it in this world. Right. And immediately when you have the concept of religion and God in your life, uh, that question gets answered and, and you're more susceptible yeah. to doing we, good. As Muslims, we don't have that, or we shouldn't at least have that like feeling like, oh, this is going to waste or, you know, I'm not getting credit for it or, you know, because Allah is always there watching us anyways. You might not see the fruits of it today, but in the hereafter, right? Allah is promising that reward. Yeah. And and back to the concept of, of the mercy of God and, and uh, working towards Him. Um, I, I think a lot of what happens, and especially Islamically dominant culture, mm -hmm. uh, countries, um, is that the reason you don't do actions is because of shame. When it should be because of guilt. Shame is usually brought upon you from the people. And that's why you don't gotcha. do certain actions. That actually makes sense. Guilt is something within. Yeah. And that is something I find to be true in even Muslims that are in Islamic circles here. And something that I try to stay away from myself. Mm -hmm. Is I'm never going to be ashamed for what I have done in the past. Because that means I am just caring about how others feel about my deeds in the past. Mm -hmm. But I do feel guilt. And I will feel guilt. And that only brings me closer to God. That's good. And that's a huge difference. That's a good mentality. point you made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there was this, there was this uh, I, 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 you probably do know this story. It's by a scholar. Uh, I forget his name. Cause that's because he has a weird name. But there's a scholar that, that died. Can you actually pull up? Uh, there, there's a GM called the Muzzies. Um, just find that GM and while I'm telling the story. So th there's a, a scholar who passed away. Yeah. And he ended up in his friend's dream. And his friend asked him, what, what, has, a, what has God done to you? Where, where are you? Um, mm -hmm. And he said, and he told him all the beautiful things, like hey, God has given me heaven and gardens and, and all these beautiful things, everything that he's promised, his answers were, his promises were true mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And so his friend said, so did, did, what, what, on what deeds did God enter you into heaven? Mm -hmm. He said, well, that's funny because when, I, when God entered me into heaven, um, 
I said, was it because I was a scholar and all the knowledge I had and all the great things I've done and, and my, my uh, amazingness in, in doing the Quran and all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And God said, no. And he was like, well, what was it for? And God said, it was for that one time it was raining and cold outside and there was a kitten on the, on the road. Mm-hmm. And you picked up the kitten and put it under your coat and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you calmed it down. And that was what brought him into heaven over everything right. he said. Okay, scroll up a little bit. Keep scrolling until you find a big blue message from me. Just keep going. Because um, I do want to find the scholar's name just in case. Do you, have you ever heard that story before? This story? Yeah. Uh, no, but I've heard like many, uh, many stories like that. Yeah. You never know what's going to get you in. Yeah. And you always think it's gonna be like oh this big thing bro. yeah never belittle any action right yeah especially with like social media because like we're always like posting the biggest moments or you know our biggest successes on social media so when someone sees that and they're like oh dang i haven't done much right and that kind of like you know puts you down or like you know makes you feel like nothing's worth it right for the person who hasn't done that much but in the sight of god right like any small thing could be worthwhile right so, yeah so i think really social media does have an impact on our mentality in regards to that as well yeah and you know i was talking to this kid um and i was like yeah you muslim because his name his name was a muslim name okay and he was like eh, yeah i mean if you want to call me that yeah and i'm like why do you say that He's like, well, you know, my community definitely doesn't think I'm Muslim because I drink and I smoke and I'm with girls. I mean, you see what I'm doing right now and all this stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't mean you're not Muslim. (laughs) Like, that doesn't make you not Muslim. So are you Muslim or not? And so by the end of our conversation, he was finally like, yeah, yeah, I'm Muslim. Mm. But in the beginning, he gave this really, no, I I can't identify as it. And and it was because of the shame. Mm. And, And so that shame made him feel like, no, I'm not even Muslim. Look at what I'm doing. Look at all these horrible deeds that I'm doing. Uh, so I clearly, I am not under the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of how kids in this country think. Uh, that they yeah. have done too many bad things in order for God to love them or accept them. And what, what kind of do you have to say to them? I think that's, uh, that, that's very unfortunate because I think that's like from in regards to our generation back home and stuff when they first moved to america they and they started building the massages and the institutions they kind of built that mentality that you know anyone who's like that bad you know they kind of like shunned them away in a uh, in a way but you know the masjid or the mosque or the islamic institutions should be such an environment that no matter what um you've gone through in your life no matter where you are in your relationship with god you know i'm there at the masjid to help you right um this group of the masjid you you can come hang out with us right and building those personal connections is going to help that person um come out of that uh bad spot or messed up spot that they're in right and i think we're slowly getting better with that like a lot of masajid and mosques have gotten um, better in that regards that uh, now we are slowly starting to accept everyone and becoming more of a welcoming community whereas maybe like 
10, 15 years ago, we weren't really um, as such. So I think, especially with us, the youth and the people growing up here, knowing the challenges and problems we're facing, I think um, as we start to take more in charge of the mosques and these leadership positions, we can slowly make that impact and change. Yeah, I think. It's, it's definitely getting better, but yeah. it's not where it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's still not. Yeah. Because I've even talked to people who've grown up here in the 80s okay. and 70s, and I had them on this podcast. And they quote it was like as if they were me. They were quoting the exact same issues in Islamic institutions as we are. Oh wow! And so okay. that that means there's a huge lag time. I see. Yeah. Between generations, and I, and I really hope, and I think stuff like this will help. Yeah. Uh, especially people like you, inshallah, who will who yeah. will uh, start taking control or taking part in our institutions. That that can help with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my goals is like, like I just want everyone to have that connection uh with islam no matter like where you are in your life right and i think the only way to do that is get someone who obviously um understands islam but uh has grown up in this environment where they they had seen and faced uh maybe even yeah faced or experienced the problems that those other people are going through yeah it's, what is it coming to talk about your goals what are, what kind of is your long-term term goal or even short-term goal with what you're trying to do uh so inshallah uh so obviously i plan to graduate in about a year year six months something like that and then after that either try to be like a resident scholar or a youth director or something maybe at a masjid or something like that or maybe decide to do that mufti course where i specialize in fiqh because i like anyone who knows me personally they know i love like getting into rulings and why is that um i just really like how um you can have like four you can say different let's say you have one topic right in islam and from that one topic you'll have like um four different answers right but they're all derived from the same same hadith and same quran right but the logic behind it on how i got to that answer that's what interests me i, I really understand i really like trying to understand how the scholars got to okay this is halal or this is disliked, but it's not haram, or like stuff like that. Yeah. It, really, it always interested me. A lot of people find it boring and stuff. No, that's crazy. I but love for that, me, it's yeah. like, I really love that stuff. Yeah. I, I love it too. Logic, and that's why I, I minored in philosophy. Okay. I, I don't, I, and here's, so actually, before I get to that, uh, the scholar's name was a Shibli. Say again? Shibli. Um, Hassan Shibli? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. him, I know him. Yeah. Not, not personally, but yeah. Yeah, I obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope you don't know him personally. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, he's a really great guy. Yeah, mashallah. Um, okay, yeah. So, what we were talking... What were we talking about for a second there? Oh, logic. Yeah. Logic. Yes, so people don't understand that. Morals and ethics, the reason why things are morally correct and morally wrong have definite logical answers behind them. Mm. So uh, the the other day, I was using the R word, right? Like yeah. I, I said, retarded. And my friend was like, "Don't say that word." And I was like, "I can agree with you. Like I, I agree with you in the overall premise that I shouldn't say uh, 
curse words. Right? Yeah, I yeah. shouldn't say things that are negative in connotation. But I know your premises aren't the same as mine as to why you came to the conclusion that it is morally incorrect to say the R word. Gotcha. Right? Um, so that's when I was like, I so actually disagree thing. with you. Okay. Right? Because your premises are wrong. Yeah. And that's why I don't agree with you. But if you were like, retard is wrong, and so is the F word, and so is the S word, and so is the A word, and so are the, all the other words, then I'd be like, you're right. I can't even argue with that because you're lo- logically coherent. Oh, you're you're yeah. making sense. But if that, you're telling me the R word is incorrect to use, and all these other words are correct, but the R word is incorrect because it, it pertains to mentally disabled people, it's like, that's not what you say with the F word. Right. Every time someone says the F word, you're not thinking about sex, are you? It's like no, I'm not. It's like so. Yeah. Why are you not? Why are you not giving the same benefit to the R word uh, mm. when it's used? Gotcha. It, it, not suddenly now that we're talking about the R word. Uh, now you're like, oh, every time you say, I'm thinking about mentally disabled people. It's like no, you allowed context and culture and mannerism to dictate how the F word, S word, and A word were used mm. to a point where when people said this is the, sh-, right and use the S word, you weren't you actually thinking of literal poop. Right. You were thinking of the context and the culture in which they were speaking. Definitely. And that wasn't the case with the R word for you. I don't know. That was something that recently happened. No, I, I, get, I get what you're trying to yeah. say. That makes sense. So, so even people who reach the same conclusions, you're like, no. So a lot of what's happening a lot of the time in this con- country is people are coming up with moral choices and moral decisions and ethics and then judging you based off of your moral ethics and decisions and how you believe. And then when you try to complicate manners into a logical, coherent thing, like try to make it a logical discussion, they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to hear this anymore. It's mm-hmm. like, what? You just agreed with me. You agreed with me without, without being direct. You indirectly agreed with me that morals are so important that you're willing to judge me, block me, cancel me online based off of my morals. And yet, once we complicate manners, then you don't want to talk about it. That like that doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. No, I get that. And and one of the things that I want to talk to you about because this is something that removes a lot of Muslim girls that are trying to party, that are trying to date, that are trying to do stuff, is uh, marriage is not being able to marry uh, a, a man who uh, isn't Muslim, right? They're like, how how come Muslim men can marry? A non-Muslim woman, but Muslim woman can't marry non-Muslim men. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that, and I think that's a very interesting question. Do you think to, you can enlighten us a little bit on it? So, to be honest, um, there's no solid uh, answer. To be honest, it's mm-hmm. like well, it's like one of those things that like um, it, it's just a ruling, um, you know, like when because uh, there's a lot of rulings where like it doesn't like have any logic to it but a lot like um there's definitely logic to it we just might not know it yeah exactly uh but i guess scholars do go into it and they do try to give some uh explanation and uh one of the reasons they do say that is uh uh because you might not know uh who the father is right if that makes sense oh because you're like dating around yeah um but so that's like one explanation, but I haven't personally found uh, much conclusive evidence as to why. 
much convincing with yeah. logic or reason behind it. Yeah, but I definitely accept it, obviously, as a Muslim. Yeah. But like, I I haven't really found much, uh, yeah, conclusive. And, and that that's one of the things, right? Is that it, in Islam, the first and foremost reason we do things is because God said so. God says. And then, like poor, yeah. For example, like okay, like. But then, to our benefit, yeah. right? Through science and through knowledge, yeah. Do we learn? the wisdom behind exactly. God's teachings, right? Like, that's what I was just talking to Ben about the other day with fasting. If you ask people 1,400 years ago why they fasted, I don't know. Right. But if you ask people now why we fast, they can give you all these dietary benefits. They can give you all these mental benefits, health benefits. Yeah. But that's not the main reason. But that's not the... It's because God said so yeah. in the first place. God said so, and he wanted us to get, you know, closer to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, cause fearing, right? yeah, exactly. So that you may be conscious of God, fearing of God. Um, but th- that's interesting, man. Uh, do you do you personally have a take on it? Why why would do you? Because immediately, what came to mind with me when I thought about it, uh, and this is again, this is coming from someone who has no idea. But it's mostly because like men have such huge influence in households like uh hmm. it, it's it's where it's like um i don't think you're gonna take on the religion of i don't know <laughs> i don't know like that the, that could be a reason too actually yeah um that because of the religion aspect uh like you said the men a lot of times may have a stronger grip or hold on like what religion that the children are, are gonna learn yeah so that could be a, a possibility too for a answer yeah most of the most of my friends yeah uh, that are half and half you know like half protestant half catholic half jewish half catholic or whatever it is yeah usually tend to go to the church that their dad resides in okay so yeah I didn't know resides that. okay it's just usually like i yeah. at least in my personal survey of people i've okay. met that that's just how it's been because I found like the the father tends to get more religious as he gets older, and then now he wants his children. No, you have to be God. No, you have to be. So, so uh, that may be a reason. I don't that know. may be a reason. It's yeah. a, it's a good question. But I yeah personally don't know. I might have to do more research on it then. Yeah, let me know. Yeah, let me know because I definitely want to have you back on here and, and yeah. you can tell me more about it. Um, how about how about ruling on masturbation? All right, so that um, I mean most uh, say again? <laughs> <laughs> he said let's go <laughs> uh, so most of the scholars in Fukaha they or the people who go into Fukaha and stuff they say that it's uh, it's haram or impermissible right um, except obviously like uh, for like your wife like mutual masturbation like when you're married you can mutually masturbate. What does that mean? Like, doesn't that isn't that sex? Isn't that a different way of saying sex right there? Mutual like masturbation. Like if, like if your, um, if your, uh, if your wife masturbates you. <laughs> yeah, and you, like, you masturbate your yeah. Basically. Okay. Okay. So uh, like that that's the only time it'd be allowed. But for you to uh, yourself, um, most of the scholars do not allow that. I heard that it was allowed if you're doing it in order to sustain from sex. So that's, uh, scholars say that's only 
if you're like in the moment like if uh like if you're presented at a scene or something like that like you're about to have sex yeah you're naked and you just yeah something like that but not like you can't really use that excuse like just okay every every time like you're anywhere you know here's the thing yeah just just following the logic of how a sam goes it makes sense to me that's it's not permissible right yeah like that makes sense to me but at the same time like it's kind of like choosing between two evils right yeah definitely kids are gonna masturbate right yeah people are definitely gonna kind of gonna do that Mm -hmm. so isn't that much better to do than have sex definitely but i think uh if that does happen, and do you think others hold a different view from you? Like, if I put, if I brought on another mufti, would you find that he, he says it's permissible? He might, yeah, but okay. I'm not sure. Um, uh, the scholars I uh, tend to follow, or you know, I learn from, they're generally against it. I, I so I don't know. There might be like another like opinion or something like that too. Right. Uh, but like you were saying, like if um, you know. Obviously, like you, what you were saying, like if people do engage in it, it's better than uh, than having sex. Yeah. Right. So obviously that's true, and it is lesser the two evils. But uh, at the same time, I don't think we should justify it. Like uh, we should still try to like you know instill that it's uh, it's haram and it's impermissible, and slowly you know try to get someone um, off that. Hmm. Yeah. Rather than trying to, you know, justify. Because if you're justified, then it's like, then no one's going to stop, you know? like. Yeah. And we're, is... we're implying here, I think, without porn, right? I'm yeah, not even going to okay, add okay. the porn element into this. <laughs> I'm talking about straight imagination, yeah, yeah. masturbation. You're saying is also, yeah, from still, your yeah. background, not permissible. And right. the reason I'm emphasizing your background is because I actually, I, I have heard people say it is permissible. Yeah, I think I have two. Um, so that might be like another scholarly or might, there might be two opinions yeah. uh, for this. And there's a reason why, again, God didn't send down. And this is exactly. why we talked about it. Yeah. God is, is, is as we stated it, an infinite yeah. mind. If he, It's not like he missed this point. It's like, oh, I forgot masturbation. No. no he, yeah. he knew purposefully that he didn't want to speak on it. Exactly. Because he wanted to leave it to the scholars and how people interpret and at the end of the day, the more Muslim you become, the more level up you are. Exactly. You're not gonna masturbate. Yeah. Right. So, so that's kind. I think it's also like, uh, it, I think it also depends on like the environment you grew up in. Cause like I know I have like a friend. He's actually my classmate, and he's like, he just naturally always thought it was wrong, and I'm like, what? Really? I just naturally always thought it was wrong too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, me too. But then I know other people who probably didn't i thought it was illegal when i was young <laughs> oh. did you think it was illegal when you were young to what masturbate no no i thought it was illegal okay yeah so i think <laughs> it, your environment shapes it too definitely yeah, yeah. i think it does uh, <laughs> yeah i mean honestly again masturbation just just even off the bat you can kind of be like eh Right, like what yeah. you're saying isn't wild. Yeah, absolutely, non permit, not permissible. Seems like the uh, safer, the go-to safer yeah. answer, definitely. And I, I would say, if you ask God, like one, when, when we, ask, I don't know, let me not say that. Um, but, but I, but I, I think at the end of the day, seeing the environment and the life we're in now, it's tough. 
Yeah. Go ahead and masturbate before you have sex. If if that if that's what. But that, that then that leads to another thing that. Right. Um, shouldn't we encourage people to maybe get married younger? Hmm. Right. But it's hard in this capitalist society, right? Like, no that's kids aren't making enough money. money. Yeah. That's I, another thing. I'd be married right now if I had enough money to, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I think the prophet, peace be upon him, also prescribed fasting. Yes. Fast until you get married. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever cannot uh, marry, then you don't get uh, uh, fast. Because yeah. it'll help you diminish your um, desires. Desires, and, and stuff. honestly, during Ramadan, it does. Help. It does. Yeah, it does. My my lust levels have gone to zero to five, basically from fasting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that was really that was a really good prescription on his end. That's a good true. spiritual prescription, and that that's one of the difficult parts, man. It's like, I you can be uh, at the top of your game, iman wise, mm-hmm. but you're still like getting. I don't know if you're okay with this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. But you're still, like, getting horny by the end of the day, right? Like, That's true. <laughs> you're still, like... And it's just like, bro, I'm such, a, I'm such a human being. I'm so weak. Like, I can't even... All this spirituality that I felt all day... Yeah. can't even stop me from my natural lusts. And... Uh, yeah, there, it, it's... Uh, there's actually a hadith or a statement of the Prophet, Sallallahu that says, مَا تَرَقْتُ بَعْدِ fitnatan." Lirwijal Anisa or something like that. Basically that what that's saying is that I haven't left a greater greater trial or greater difficulty upon men than women in my Ummah basically. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it is um it is something, you know, to control your desires. That's like a great challenge that the Prophet Sallallahu is telling us. Yeah, especially because uh, I think what he's adding into context there also is that women have to cover themselves too, mm-hmm. and 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 you have to to be a certain level of respectful mm-hmm. with women as a Muslim than than you would um, as an American, right? Like you can't go up and grab a woman as a Muslim, right? Right. Uh, you can't catcall. You can't do any of that stuff. Yeah. So that is much more difficult for for men on a, a societal level not to be able to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask you another one then? So, yeah, sure. <laughs> so why 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 is alcohol not permissible? Why is alcohol not permissible? I think Ben has had that one on his mind for me also. Well, you didn't really read the full question. What? Oh, uh, I mean, I'm not going based off the. the I uh, guess, oh, okay. But okay. the full question, I guess, is is weed as actually I am curious about that. Is weed as bad as alcohol? Sin. Are you saying sin wise? Ruling yeah, ruling wise or uh what you like kinda tell people. Uh ooh, what do you mean what I kinda tell people? What does it mean? So uh, um so obviously ruling wise it won't be the same, but it's still um how do I explain it? You still you still it's still not allowed for um Right, right. For uh, people today, because everyone's just doing it for fun, right? And um, just to, you know, get that high and stuff. So give me the ruling. Give me the ruling. So the ruling, it won't be on the same level as um, as uh, alcohol. I knew it. Okay. Yeah. But, so but we worse. generally, scholars generally, yeah, 
But scholars don't generally uh, tell that to the public because they know it's going to get abused then. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's so obviously alcohol is worse. Yeah. That's why. Because, it, uh, because that, the ayah says khamr. Um, right. And khamr is dates or grapes. So weed cannot be under that same uh, classification right. of dates and grapes. Yeah. So, it, But it is still not permissible to... Um, uh, use but you won't uh it will be slightly less of a level than alcohol basically yeah, it's a lesser it, it won't evil. be yeah you won't you won't call it like clear-cut haram if you know what i mean it'll be like haram but not to like uh that level of um alcohol basically. and and why why is it haram why is it haram um how would you answer that like um i guess mainly because when People do drink or, you know, get high and stuff. Generally, they engage in actions that maybe they might later regret or that might have a negative outcome on your life. Of course, I'm speaking from oh, no experience, uh, so I, w- I wouldn't really know. Okay, let me speak um, on this. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's anything that removes you from sober mentality, like anything okay. that, that takes away your consciousness, uh, where right. you cannot operate at an optimal level because as as a muslim you are supposed to be so lo- logically there so mm-hmm. coherent so conscious of your surroundings of how you talk to people how you how how your tone of voice ev- from everything right you're right. like you're supposed to be super conscious of that um and of god simultaneously Definitely. uh that when you're high, you're you're not doing that, right? When you when you're high, yeah. you're probably thinking about eating or, or playing video games, or or you might even get hornier than usual when you're high. Uh, gotcha. When you're drunk, you just lose consciousness completely. I mean, you can even turn to a whole completely different person. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's why you know people don't even know how alcohol be, got banned in Islam, which yeah. is that Muslims themselves of the time went to the Prophet peace be upon him and were like, "Yo, we can't." be the level we're trying to be yeah if we're allowed to drink you're right right and you can you can speak on it a little further yeah it's interesting because like uh like if you know the story like how alcohol didn't get banned immediately like it was uh it only got banned in like the last three years of of the prophet's life right yeah so like it um obviously it started off like oh uh, don't come to Salah or don't come to prayer while you're drunk. Other than that, you know, you can drink and stuff. And then slowly and slowly, it uh, <coughs> got abolished at near the end, right? Uh, so that kind of emphasizes the point, like, if someone's struggling with, like, a sin or a bad thing, don't try to cut them off, like, immediately. You know, work them up to it, basically. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah. And uh, I, I think we should change uh, our perception of people who do these things, right? Yeah. The, the reason why these people are drinking, the reason why they're smoking weed, isn't because of some inherent badness in them. No. Or no. because of some evil within them. It's actually because of a weakness within them. A, a hole or a void that they're trying to fill uh, with right. these substances. And, and if anything, you should feel empathy and even feel bad for them. You don't feel... Yeah bad at them or mad at them right we don't we don't hate the people we hate the sin yeah exactly like i think that's something we need to clarify too um because everyone has their weaknesses 
that's why we're human, right? And so, as humans, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us to sin, right? Otherwise, he would have, like, sent a whole nation of angels who just do what they... That's actually exactly what he said. Go ahead and quote God in in what he said, yeah. Um, What is that? I I don't know it off the top of my head, but... But It was basically that God said, and I I created you for you to sin. If you stopped sinning, then I would get rid of you as humans and put on a being that would sin. Yes, and... There's a, a example of this in Surah Baqarah where he says, uh, uh, that are you the angels were talking to a God and they were saying, Are you gonna create a nation who just, you know, causes chaos, transgression and just bloodshed, right? And then God says, Oh, indeed, you know, I know more than what you know, right? Basically telling them that that's how I want things to be, right? Yeah. So, you know, I was listening to Dr. Jeffrey Lang. I don't know. Have, do you know him? No, I'm not familiar. He, he's this convert. Okay. Um, but I, but actually, before we get into that, cause yeah. <laughs> okay. let's just finish with weed and alcohol real quick. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so alcohol was, was removed because... Obviously, we see all the social implications. That the alcohol is a, has a direct tie mm. to rape culture, to sexual harassment culture, um, to driving accidents, to abuse in the household, uh, whether to- it is towards the spouse or the children. Like alcohol causes most of America's societal so, problems. Yeah. So this makes sense. My question was more so. Um, what what really gets um, Muslim youth, uh, you know, more involved in these kind of uh, things and these products and stuff? Um, is it more so like family pressure or like they've trying to like? How would you explain that basically? Um, you you know I I I, like, I was actually thinking about this or before you because like one way to uh overcome this is figure out you know like where they're coming from or like what the reason behind it is right so like and and one thing to overcome it within oneself is to figure out why you're doing it right like within yourself you have to ask yourself why am i smoking why am i drinking like and genuinely have that uncomfortable conversation with yourself uh and one of the questions the answers i found within myself um what I like the quote, I was just thinking about this today, from Omar ibn al-Khattab, uh, where he said, uh, right? we, we are a nation that God has honored with Islam. Uh, and, and even though he wasn't saying that to be used in the context that I'm about to use it in, I think it, I think it works with every context. Um, which is that Muslims, when they come here, they feel that they have no honor, right? The way that the, the media has mm. portrayed us, uh, the way that classrooms speak on us, the way that students look at us uh, is so, uh, you are below me, even subconsciously they think it, right? Mm. Where you, you, they don't say it out loud, but you can tell that they think your religion is stupid, that they think your entire culture is backwards, um, 
mm. uh, that you, so so a lot of Muslim kids. So you're saying Muslim kids uh, today, even after spending all the years here, still uh, feel that. It's because they spent all their entire lives okay. here, right? So they go home and they go home to this environment that is all godlike and all, and may, maybe even not godlike. May, maybe it's just a normal environment, but, but it's, it's still culturally culture. Islamic. Like even if they're not doing all Islamic things, it's still has a cultural Islamic. vibe. Yeah. And what's worse, kids that end up worse are with parents who are culturally Muslim with no Islamic knowledge. Hmm. So then they tell them, "Don't wear that. Why can't I wear that?" I don't know, but don't worry, I'm mad, right? Yeah. So those kind of parents are even worse. These Muslims that are very knowledgeable, yeah. you find them very calm with their children, and their children Teaching naturally them, yeah. don't wear it, yeah. right? That's the difference. So these kids go home to a culture that is completely different than the rest of the world that they're living in most of the hours of the day. And what they start gaining is this, this, this void in them of, who am I? Why? What? what what's going on here? Hmm. Uh, am I American? Am I the other culture? What is it? Um, and and they spend their time, or at least I I spent my tr- time trying to prove to my friends um, that I was that I was an equal, that I was an American, that I was oh, okay. cool. Gotcha. Right? It's like no, no, don't. I'm not. I'm not this. You, you know. Backward, backwards like, hijabi wearing yeah. you know I'm not, I'm not doing that I'm not I'm not a sand dude or a sand <laughs> monkey like no yeah. I'm one of you guys I'm cool I'm a, gotcha. a, a, and and the only way to be cool in America whether you're Muslim or not is, is to, to drink or, okay yeah, is to smoke and is to drink gotcha. whether you're Muslim or not like gotcha. if you are an American white blue eyed blonde haired who does not drink or smoke you are probably not going to be considered cool Gotcha. Right, so it's not even an image thing. It is genuinely that's how it works. I see. Um, and so kids, it's just a matter of personality. Kids who yes. want to be cool. For me, it was different. Like, uh, like Alhamdulillah. Like I, I think the more I grew in my faith, it's like I took pride in that. It's like not nah, like you know I have something. Not to like shame anyone or anything like that, but it's like I felt something that. I have that they don't. And that's what gave me that feeling of like, you know, I love who I am. I don't need to prove it to anyone else. Right? I don't need to fit in or that type of culture or type of thing. You're, you already had an innate sense of Azadullah with Islam. Right? Exactly. So, but like, like you said, that's not most of the time. So like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, going on to. Yeah. So it's, it's just that they're fill, we were fill, we're filling the whole uh, void we feel and I find this a lot in, in certain cultures I that when their kids come here the, these their kids are kind of like I want to be what American mm-hmm. and what it means to be American is not like religion think religion stupid and drink smoke and have sex and party yeah that that's what it is and w- what ends up happening is is that they overcompensate so Americans will drink one beer but this Muslim who's trying to fit in will drink three beers mm-hmm. to make that American know that he's cool, he's right? Cool. So, so it's it's even where where even the, uh, a large proportion of Muslims are even worse or even more of mm-hmm. drinkers and smokers than your day to day Americans because they're overcompensating for the void and the identity crisis and and and, and the self hatred they feel inside for themselves. 
Gotcha. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah. how, how would you suggest um hello and welcome back to the thinking aloud with mal podcast i'm your host mahmoud al-ansari and you can call me mal today our uh, special guest is sad abessi he is an up-and-coming religious figure in the dmv community wanting to change our community for the better as it pertains to the the religious sector me and sad get deep and go on a personal have a personal conversation we basically discuss how he ended up a Muslim who is on the right track and never drinks, never smokes, never goes with girls, never did any of that stuff in his past and hopefully continues to do. And how I ended up the exact opposite. What what differences in our lives led us to become so drastically different in the actions that we took, even having the same religion and morals. We also try to answer the question as to why other Muslim Americans do what I do and why other Muslim Americans do what Saad does. We try to discover why Muslim Americans are drinking, why they're smoking, why they're not sticking to Islam in America. And obviously, what can we do to fix it? We try to get to the bottom of that as well. And that's actually what one of the questions I wanted to ask you in my head, but I didn't write it down. Is For example, like why do you dress the way you dress? Why do you dress in a certain style? Um, so, do you want me to explain? Because it has to do with what I'm talking, what we're talking about now. So, at first, um, I say going back in my life, like, I never really dressed like this, uh, before, back in the day. Then when I came to, uh, like, UMBC and stuff, uh, actually, I would say, I would say David was a pretty big, um, influence in this, like. I saw him always wearing like cultural uh, clothing and stuff. And I'm like, oh, dang, like he feels like confident, like wearing this and stuff is like, why shouldn't I? Right. So then I started wearing that slowly and slowly. Uh, and after studying, then I found out like uh, there's certain types of clothing that actually uh, go with how the Prophet saw some more peace be upon him dressed. Um, and so if you wear it with that intention, a lot of the scholars say you'll get rewarded for it. Um, so then I kind of changed my outlook on that and started having that uh, mentality afterwards. So, but it didn't start like that. Really. Yeah, interesting. That's a different perspective I haven't heard before <laughs> about the, the profit part. Yeah. Is that you're following kind of like the sunnah of how he dressed. Yeah. Um, see, that's... Again, it's not mandatory or anything, of course. Yeah. yeah but see, what happens is that a lot of these kids when they're choosing between being Muslim and being the secular American, yeah. what they're thinking is, I got to start dressing like this, yeah. right? Okay. Or I got to start wearing the beard. So what these kids <laughs> immediately start thinking, oh, I got to change my entire culture. I got to yeah. have a beard. I got to have, what is this? A kufiyan? A kufiyan. A kufiyan. <laughs> I got to wear a thel <laughs> everywhere I go. And I got to say mashallah all the time, right? And it's like, no, no, you don't, you don't have to dress like that if yeah. you don't want to. And I think that's, that's not the, necessarily a sign of uh, you being more practicing than someone who isn't either. Like, but it gives off that. It vibe. gives off that vibe. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way around it. Yeah, that there's no way around. Yeah. yeah, 
Like, uh, <laughs> there's no, like, if anyone came in here, right? And let's say you weren't you. Let's yeah. say you were a super, like, non-religious dude. But you were dressed the way you were, and I was dressed the way I am. They would immediately imply you're more Muslim than me. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's right? true, yeah. So, that that's, the it, that's I think, where the it disconnect happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that God touched upon it in the Quran where he says that we sent to you messengers who speak your language and dress like you do mm-hmm. and, and, and are you, like you so that you can believe so that you can turn to, to, toward God so that you understand mm-hmm. right and I think that's where the disconnect happens when when uh, people of scholarly positions rightfully so because they're in a different environment they're in a different bubble mm-hmm. try to communicate with that separate different environment, the separate bubble, there's gotcha. a disconnect because, yeah. and, it, and it becomes more evident once the physical clothing is is, mm-hmm. is different. So when a kid comes in with a tank top and shorts, he's immediately like, oh, I can never be like Saad because mm-hmm. Saad is definitely not wearing a tank top and shorts <laughs> right now, right? Gotcha. So, so I, I think scholars and I, I, I or not scholars, I, I, I think your people like you. Um, your everyday today uh, people who are going to be scholars but are also going to be within the community mm-hmm. need to dress like the community mm-hmm. in order for the community to feel gotcha listen I'm one of you guys and that's why I so it's like it's like yeah fine wear the Islamic clothing but every now and then like you know pull out a shirt and, a, and pants yeah, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> Just pull out a normal American garment because there's nothing haram about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right, but it gives off the like vibe. All right, this man, like, all right, he's he's practicing, but he's relatable too. Yes. Okay. Yes, and, and that's kind of how I've operated this podcast. Yes. You will never find me wearing a thelb or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, in fact, I didn't even want to grow a beard. For, for most of it, just so I don't meet the stereotype. I got you. But honestly, I've, I've kind of been liking the beard vibes lately. So I think even, especially I've been growing it for a while. That's true, yeah. But I'm, but I'm glad you're asking these questions because a lot of people who are going, that, that, that are going to be taking on what you are, yeah. wouldn't mm. ask those questions. True, yeah. But I think, uh, the, for example, like the school I go to is very traditional. Uh, but the thing, uh, what, alhamdulillah, like, for me is I went from, like, you know, UMBC, regular school, everything like that, to the traditional background. So for me, that was, like, a huge, like, change uh, in thinking, mentality, and everything. So, like, I kind of have that perspective of, like, both, uh, you can say, which is helpful. Like you said, you have to, uh, you have to bring people from that, scholarly field who are not only in their bubble like they can like you know relate to people who are not there we're not in that uh, space not in that field right yeah it's kind of it's the same same mentality as the best leaders usually tend to be the ones who were poor mm. right it's like the best scholars are usually the ones who were first probably sitting yeah far, right that's true uh, even Omar Sulaiman was talking about this the other day. I was listening to him. Mm-hmm. Is that those who sinned have a very tender heart mm-hmm. because they're so understanding of uh, of the delusions of this reality, gotcha, yeah. right? Um, you you through your studying have learned the delusions of 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 uh, being with women and of yeah. alcohol and drinking and and and, and weed. Um, 
But I, through experience, yeah. sadly had to learn that, right? Gotcha. And, and it's through that experience that I looked and went, this is delusional. This yeah. is all a delusion. None of this is bringing happiness. None of this is bringing satisfaction. And none of this is filling the void inside of me or the self-esteem issues I have in feeling lesser than my, my fellow Americans. Uh, in fact, the more I take on Islam, the more confident I am as an American and the more I feel like I belong. That's what happened to me too, like uh, over the time. The more I took on Islam, the more I became practicing. I just became more confident. It's like, I am who I am and I love it. Like, <laughs> And it's weird is because all my friends, like even, even back, all my friends gained more of a respect for me uh, right. and, and more, more of an authentic love for me since I, 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 I became more Practice. me, Practice. basically. Like yeah. when, when, when you turn to Islam more, as a person who was born and raised Muslim, all you're doing is becoming more and more you. Because that was already in you. That was already how was was embedded in you through through God first of all, gotcha. and then through your parents, and then you try to sway away from who you are. Mm. And when when you when you connect back with yourself, people will respect that. Mm. Even those who you thought would only like you if you were cool and drinking and smoking. No, that makes sense. Yeah.